am Chris, and this is my Writing Table podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair and let's begin. Adrian Tchaikovsky is an award-winning and highly acclaimed science fiction and fantasy author with works published at his home in the UK and internationally. He primarily explores deep themes such as artificial intelligence and alien awareness within epic galactic and fantastical settings. He has a deep interest in the animal world, specifically insects from his studies in zoology, and has a particular penchant for spiders. Ooh, not me. Today, he's leaving those spiders at home, and he's visiting the writing table to discuss his latest novel, City of Last Chances. By the way, City of Last Chances won the British Science Fiction Award this last week for Best Novel. Welcome, Adrian. Hello. Thanks for having me. First of all, I wanted to congratulate you. Your latest novel, City of Last Chances, won the British Science Fiction Award for Best Novel. That's awesome. Yes, thank you very much. It, <laughs> it was rather unexpected. And uh, I honestly thought there was an extremely strong uh, shortlist. And I think any one of them could have taken it. That's a wonderful honor. Can you tell us a little bit about the City of Last Chances? So this is my first fantasy novel for a while. It's set in a big fantasy city. It's kind of early industrial revolution, but everything is magic. It's under occupation. There is a revolution brewing. And then the book is the story of a number of very ordinary people within the city who are desperately trying not to be involved in the plot because being involved in the plot of a fantasy novel will get you killed. I'm guessing it doesn't always though, right? Um, I'm going to say a fair number of people don't make it to the end. I'm just not (laughs) going to say which ones. Okay. All right. Can I ask how many novels have you published? I know it's Um, a lot. I think... Including novellas, I think we're up to 49. It's like 20-something novels. Jeez, Louise, that's a lot. Yep. So, <laughs> before you published, what were the novels or movies that sparked that interest? Weirdly enough, there, there was a very specific book which sort of flipped me onto the idea that I could be uh, a novelist, which was, um, well, the series, The Dragonlance Chronicles. Very early Dungeons & Dragons books. I was a very keen uh, role-playing games player. And that just bridged that gap to say, yes, this is the thing that you are now. And these are people like you who are writing books. And this is something you could conceivably do. And it took me quite a while to actually get my writing style up to anything publishable. But that was the just the light bulb moment. Isn't that fun when you can go back to a specific moment and know that fire got lit that day? It's pretty cool. I write women's fiction and commercial fiction in I am so daunted by the thought of writing fantasy science fiction because you have to come up with entire worlds, like entire worlds, not like, oh, I can set this at so-and-so's house, which I'm familiar with because I live in a house that is like that. You have to come up with everything. So I'm just so impressed with the skill set that it takes to do this. You're developing a whole new world. Where does that begin? So for me, the world is the thing. The world is why I do science fiction and fantasy, specifically that. And I'm going to say I have written things in historical periods. I have written things set modern day, even if they're fantasy that are set sort of modern day. That's a lot harder because you've got to research other details that people can call you on. If you're writing a fantasy world, as long as it's all consistent, it's your world and you can kind of have it do whatever you want it to do that 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 fits the book you want to write. Um, so for me, it's a lot easier, honestly. And the more I have to bring the real world into it, the harder it gets. <laughs> so you don't really have people coming to you saying, 
Well, that wasn't realistic. I once got a two and a half page uh, email from someone explaining to me why the airships in one of my books were too slow. And I've got to say, I kind of treasure that because it means that someone was very, very interested in those books and that world to put that much work, including sort of equations and maths and all that sort of thing, into explaining to me how I got it wrong. And yeah, fine. I absolutely got it wrong. My airships will be faster in the future. You have a background in zoology, but as far as the engineering pieces, do you have to do a lot of research? Um, So when I'm writing something I would consider, say, hard science fiction, then I have to research. And the the key thing here is really you need to know what it is you don't know because it's very easy to make assumptions that, oh, well, this obviously works in such and such a way, and frequently it doesn't. And so identifying those gaps in your memory is enormously important in your sorry, in your knowledge is enormously important. The more you move away from that kind of thing, the more it, it's simply becomes important to remember what you have already decided and make sure it all kind of works together. So um, there is the classic kind of fantasy problem where right in the middle of the book, the characters in the book are in a bit of a bit of a tight spot and one of them just pulls out a, a magic power they couldn't do before and it gets them amazingly out of it. And that's very, very unsatisfying to the readers. And frequently, especially when that power never gets used again, even though it would obviously be super useful. So it's having that kind of consistent, well, this is what people can do. This is the logical sort of recourse they have. And because I start with the world and build up from that, hope everything hopefully ends up all fitting together like Legos. Uh, you know, give, gives everyone a fairly nice immersive experience with the world they feel they've kind of visited rather than just read about. As a reader, you feel manipulated, like, okay, they cheaped out here. Yeah. They go this far and build an entire world and then pull out the magic bullet. Like, where do you begin? You, you begin with the world, but like, how and how, how long does it take you to do this? Uh, so it's kind of a multi-stage project. So I, I am always writing one thing, but I'm also generally thinking about another two or three different projects. So I'll have possibly percolated away with an idea for a couple of years before I put pen to paper. And then I'll have a couple of weeks, maybe of fairly intensive world bashing where I get everything together. Usually I'll go on with the plot because I I am traditionally quite an obsessive planner of everything with um, City of Last Chances and other things I'm writing in that setting. I built the world and chose my character and then just kind of let the characters get on with it because I wanted to write a very much sort of a living city and a, an intertwining live sort of story. And that seems to work rather well, although it was a bit, I didn't know whether it was going to end up at about 2000 pages without an end in sight or anything like that. <laughs> Do you outline it all? So normally it'll go beyond outline into literally chapter by chapter, this happens, then this, then this, and in this, but in this one, it was literally, here's the world, the factions, the people, off you go. And the characters just kind of wrote it themselves. That's kind of fun, isn't it? That, it was enormous fun and it was absolutely terrifying at the same time. <laughs> like, are we really doing this? My brain says we're supposed to do it this way, but my heart and my soul are on this horse and we are riding and we're not coming back. <laughs> well, I'm, one of the main plot points is there is a thing, a potent, powerful, magical thing that a lot of people are trying to get hold of that one of the characters has. And I went through most of the book not knowing which character had it, but having to write sections from the point of view of all the characters who might have it without giving away whether they had it or not, which was really quite difficult to do. Now that it's done, now at the time, you know, it's that uncertainty. I was telling someone this morning, they said, well, you know, it's going to be so fun to to not know exactly how it's going to end up. Because I said, I I haven't quite decided how I'm going to wrap up this book I'm writing. I said, well, no, because you can't sell what you haven't written, which I haven't finished. So it's really scary because it's like, if I don't write this, I can't move forward. Yet when it's done, you look back and go, Wow, that was so fun. But you can't guarantee it when you're in it, right? The more you do it, the more risks I think you can take because you you're, mm-hmm. you become more 
confident in your ability to kind of jump the gap when it's suddenly at your feet. But uh, yes, I mean, I never, you can never know whether you'll suddenly hit a wall that you don't know a way to go over. And I have had the occasional book where you've got part of the way through and that suddenly there's a section that just doesn't work and you have to keep going around it and around until you find a way that gets you to where you need to go. Oh, it's hard, especially when you've had, have those books that just, you breeze right through and you're like, wow, I can't believe this was that easy. When you were studying zoology, what did you plan to do with it? I mean, I like to have gone on to sort of academia with the zoology, but I kind of bounced off the course, honestly. Um, so I did zoology psychology and I ended up doing pure psychology. I've had an interest in the natural world since long before going to university. And I Unfortunately, the sort of ground that the course was covering was not really the sort of thing I was interested in. There was quite a heavy emphasis on lab dissection, which was something I was frankly just terrible at. And so at the end of the first year, I basically decided I am not going to get on with this. I better just give it a kick. I mean, my interest remains and I still try and keep up on interesting research that's being done, which is where some of my books like uh, Children of Time have have actually come from. So it is it is professionally useful as well. But yes, the actual university course didn't quite tick the boxes for me. So you ended up becoming degreed in psychology. When did the writing happen? When did you say, okay, wait, plan C now? Well, the writing is always plan A. Okay. Um, it's just that until that plan A actually starts getting money in the bank, then it's, you know, it's not <laughs> going to pay the bills. So I was writing before university and all the way through university and then for several years after before getting anywhere at all. And in fact, after doing zoology psychology at uni, I ended up in a fairly junior career at law because that just happened to be a door that opened for me. Wow. But I very much wanted to be a writer and this was stuff that was paying the bills until that thankfully finally actually got me somewhere. Can't think of many degrees that would be more helpful to writers than psychology, you know, because you have to kind of figure out what their motivation is, what our characters are thinking and feeling. Uh, you, and you, if, if it had been that kind of course, then that would have been wonderful. But psychology <laughs> Academic psychology mostly comes down to this is how you do very complicated statistical tests to see whether this is a thing or not, Um, which does not make good books, I have to say. Or classes. I hated statistics. Loved the professor and loved the research, (laughs) doing the research, not the statistical part of it. How do you keep it fresh? I mean, I think one of the things a lot of writers do if they go on long enough, you do actually revisit ideas because after a while you think, actually, I've got another spin on that. So people who've read a lot of my stuff will know, you know, there are a lot of um, repeated ideas and so forth. And I think that's something that writers generally do. There are things we're interested in and those are the things we'll write about. It's just finding the new angle, finding the new setting, the new twist, the twist to it. In the same way, we're often retreading ground that other books have also other writers in the past have have trodden because there are so many different ways you can take an idea and 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 spin it. Um, I mean, for me, I have ideas of something I'm not short of. And even though I'm aware that, you know, some of, some of them are basically coming at the same thing from a different direction, I've got quite a queue of, um, queue of things waiting to be written. And possibly at some point I will run out and have to kind of do one of these things that writers do when they're just sitting there staring at the blank page. But it's not happened to me yet, thankfully. Well, 49 books and it hasn't happened. That says something. It says something about your imagination and why you've been so successful. What would you say, looking back, is your best mistake? So I'll go all the way back to my first series of books. This is Shadows of the Apt. It was like a big epic fantasy series. And it was originally four books. And at the end of the fourth book, 
there were some characters who lived and there were some characters who died. And I knew which ones were supposed to live and which were supposed to die. But somehow at the end of the book, there was one villain who was not dead. And there was one hero who I killed off who was supposed to survive. And that, those two decisions, which at the time just seemed like, you know, this is, you know, just doing writing on a whim. Um, for no particularly good reason, they both built into some of the strongest elements of the rest of that series. The dead character, because that was such an enormous sort of kickboard for other characters to move off from, and the living character, just because that villain was an awful lot of fun to write and continued to be for <laughs> many other books in the series. So at the time when you finished, did you feel like maybe this was a mistake or were you questioning yourself? I don't, uh, yeah, and and I mean, I'd also, I'd killed off... Um, a character who was definitely a favorite with a lot of the readers. And so an awful lot of people were very grumpy about that. And <laughs> you always run the risk that they won't come back for the rest of the series. But um, I think it genuinely did make um, the rest of the books a lot richer just because of what it added to the characters who were still around. When you are looking for inspiration, what genres are your go-to reads with the authors you like to read? So I still read mostly in science fiction fantasy, and my reading speed has taken a real plunge over the last few years, and unfortunately. But I try and read. Basically, I like reading people who write stuff that is what I feel is kind of a level above what I'm writing, because I feel that it, that then feeds into my own stuff and improves my own techniques. So I love, for example... Susanna Clarke's Piranesi, I read relatively recently. That was a mind-blowingly good book. And um, R.F. Quang's Babel was one I read last year. And it's I like reading books that just have ideas that I would never have, honestly. Right. Because, I just wonder, where do they get it? Yeah, and but it also, I, I, you know, I know where it goes because everything I read goes into that kind of big mulch pile in my head and <laughs> may potentially spin out ideas. Because you often think, wait, I, that's a really good idea. I love the way that was done in that book. But I can see another way, you know, you bounce off that and think, well, what, what if this has happened? And then you can follow that around and eventually that can germinate into a completely separate book. Um, just because you read that idea and it's kind of had a chance to rattle around in your head. Are you reading anything right now? Um, yeah, I've just finished, um, I've got to make sure I get the title. I've just finished uh, RJ Barker's Gods of the Weirdwood, which I had an advanced copy of. I think that's coming out in May in the UK, at least. RJ is a fancy writer. He is really, really good with very, very interesting worlds. His Bone Ships series is absolutely excellent. Looking forward, what do you hope your legacy would be? I mean, it feels a little presumptuous to assume I'll even have one. Um, <laughs> I, I would very much like it if people who have read things that I've written go off and write their own stuff. Basically, if, if you know, just in the same way, you know, so when I was a teenager, I read, say, Diane Wynne Jones, and a lot of the stuff from her work feeds very directly into mine and it's inspired and just sort of opened my eyes to a lot of things you can do in books. And they're the whole list of other authors I can think of who specifically kind of fired my imagination, both, you know, sort of recently and back when I was growing up. And if I am able to, inspire people in the same way that would be wonderful i mean also as i write about spiders a lot if i can coax people out of arachnophobia which apparently has happened with a bit a bit with um children of time some people with him some people reading it that's also lovely if i can save a few spiders who would otherwise get squished that would be good if you've ever lived with a zookeeper can we attest that you are not to squash those spiders you are to find a cup 
take them out. (laughs) (laughs) Spiders are our friends. Same with possums. But baby girl keeps me schooled pretty tightly. What do you say is like the most fun part of this job? I mean, for me, it's, it's just the raw creation of it especially the world building. I mean, world building is one of those phrases that some writers are a bit iffy about. I personally love it. I think that certainly for science fiction and fantasy writing, that is what we do. That is the thing that, you know, all books have plots and characters and can have meaning and significance and all that sort of thing. But crazy worlds with dragons and spaceships and stuff, that's very much our thing. And it's the part of the the job I absolutely love the best. We all have our comfort levels, but it's like, I just wouldn't know where to start. How do you create something that's never been created before? And yet I can see how satisfying it could be. It really is. And it's one of the reasons I think people keep coming back to a lot of um, fantasy books and the idea that you you create a whole world that's bigger than any of the actual events in the book that people feel that they can visit and revisit and become familiar with is absolutely marvelous. They're different problems, but it takes us out of the problems that we have in this world. You know, it's like, I'll take his problems for a while (laughs) instead of my own. What do you do when you're not writing and you just kind of need to get away from the world building and all that? What do you do? I draw. Uh, I mean, people who follow me on Twitter will have occasionally seen sketches. I, I, didn't, I draw people riding around on giant insects, and I draw sort of anthropomorphic animals a lot. And I paint um, Warhammer miniatures. Both of these things are hobbies that let me de-stress, but they also I have something at the end of it. And therefore, mm-hmm. some, that little part, part of my mind that is insisting you produce all the time is happy because I've made a thing. Do those things ever land in a book? Um, there's been a little backwards and forward, not that often, but I mean, so recently, um, I would have been last October, uh, one of the, the pictures I did for the third of October sketching marathon that I do was actually a character from a book. And quite frequently when I've built quite a few who seem to belong together, I start to think, well, could I do a book based on this? Are these sort of isolated characters becoming a world between them and that kind of thing? And so there's a certain amount of interplay and you know, going forwards, who knows? We'll wait and see. What does your writing day look like? Back in the day when, I I mean, I'm now a full-time writer, which has been the case for about five years. Back in the day when I was working, I would write late evenings. Uh, I've migrated now to mornings. So I'll get up, pack my son off to school. I will write for the morning. And then in the afternoon, I will be doing edits or I will be doing admin. Or if I'm very lucky, I'll just be slobbing around watching someone uh, stream Minecraft or something like that. (laughs) And then um, there's usually something on in the evening, whether it's um, sort of work-related recordings like, like this one. Or whether it's, I have a couple of role-playing game campaigns on the go because that has been my perennial hobby since I was about 13. Or there's a like an evening sort of writer's Zoom group that I, I join in on. There's generally something to take me away from actually doing stuff. Does your son enjoy reading these things? He's not much of a reader, actually. He's very into his games and he wants to be a game designer. And he's enormously creative, but he gets his entertainment from other media. Do you have any advice for new writers? This is a really hard one because practically I know what works for me. And because I know a lot of other writers, I know that it doesn't work for most other writers. Everyone has their own way to produce a book. And then once you produce a book, actually getting it into print is frankly a bit of a nightmare. It's a very difficult (laughs) business to get into. No kidding. Other than just kind of (laughs) cracking away at it and hoping. So there are two aspects to this. There is the bit you can control, which is making sure what you're submitting is as good as it's going to get. If you are psychologically able to take 
potentially hard criticism, which frankly, I absolutely was not on the way up. And we do seek out people who will, you know, who will read it over and, and give you some, some honest sort of body blows about it. You need to be submitting something that is absolutely at the top of your game. Because the other part that you cannot control at all is luck. It is a dice roll. You need to get the manuscript in front of the right editor at the right time when they've had a good lunch and are absolutely ready and there's a gap in the market and you just happen to have written exactly the right kind of stuff, which is not the stuff that is popular now. It's the stuff that's going to be popular in about two years' time because that's how long these things take. You cannot control any of that. So all you have to try and do is make sure that what lands on their desk is ready for them to pick it up and run with it if you get that natural 20 on the dice. Thank you, Adrian. This is- Thank you for uh, having me on the show. To learn more, visit adrianchaikovsky.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.